0: Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name
1: is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education, Antara,
0: and, and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and college teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible.
1: Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you the Jewish woman.
0: Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bodies and Souls. Your host for today are Sarah Lowenthal,
0: And Rifki Boyarski.
1: Today, we are so excited to have Danita Dubinsky-Aziza with us today. Danita is a registered health and nutrition counselor and the founder of Preventative Health First. Preventative Health First is a program designed to inform, equip, and empower people to take charge of their health. Danita, we are so excited and thank you for
2: agreeing to speak with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very, very honored and excited to speak with both of you. Danita, I am so,
1: so thrilled to be speaking with you today. And I would love for our listeners to hear and for myself to learn the story about yourself. How did you get involved and and why did you become a registered health and nutrition counselor?
2: So thank you, Sarah. It's so nice to meet you. And uh, I appreciate you being asked to to, uh, to come on your program. Um, it's very exciting for me always to give information. My story, well, my story can take a long time to tell. So I'll just give you snippets. It, it dates back to 1993. And um, I just had my second child, he was about a year old. And I started to develop a number of health Um, issues that ranged from congestion, it started out as sinus congestion, and it moved to fatigue and weight loss and bruising and just very nondescript symptoms from my head to my toes, I had insomnia, and um, basically went to a lot of doctors had a lot of tests, nobody could find out the reason for my symptoms and my lack of good health and um, after a number of months I'll fast forward uh, it became apparent that I was reacting to the chemicals used in the renovation of a home that we had just bought it was our first home and an older home and we renovated like anybody else renovates but in those days They used lead paint, um, not lead paint, uh, oil-based paint, uh, excuse me, and uh, it was a very hot and humid summer. And I was exposed to a lot of off-gassing and the chemicals in my home. But nobody really knew at Mm -hmm. the time a lot about indoor air quality. Uh, Fast forward to today, you know, all these years later with COVID, we suddenly hear about ventilation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ventilation was key to my health issues. Um, you know, some almost 30 years ago. And so really, that was the start of my health journey. Uh, I visited a lot of doctors, I went to the Mayo Clinic, and um, nobody really knew what was the matter with me. And they suspected I may have had, God forbid, leukemia, um, you know, a a tumor in my sinus cavities. One physician even said, you know, maybe... You need to see a psychiatrist. Oh, They thought it was in your mind. Yeah, thought it was in my mind. So um, basically, I had to figure out, um, you know, what was the cause of my symptoms. I had to figure out how to get better because I really was very, very ill. And uh, I basically decided, I was working for the city of Toronto at the time and I decided to leave my job. And I figured if this could happen to me, it was obviously happening to other people, just people aren't aware of it. And so I started a business, Healthy Home Services, where I did consulting for people. I would go into their homes and I would look at their home environment, people who had children suffering with allergies and asthma, And I'd make simple suggestions um, of how they can improve their indoor environments. So that's how I started.
1: Fascinating. Now, did you self-educate yourself, meaning to say you discovered that your symptoms were a result of your home renovations and then taught yourself a lot about this and then were able to help other people?
2: Right. So it wasn't, self-teaching was not so easy. There wasn't a course. I mean, I had a good springboard because we brought in um, the University of Toronto uh, Industrial Hygiene Lab because on the industrial side, people knew about poor indoor air quality and workers' compensation and, and workers being exposed to chemicals in air from an industrial work environment perspective. So we actually researched that. There was a consultant, one consultant at the time in Toronto who who kind of guided us. Once we had data on the quality of the indoor air, we were much uh, better equipped to know what we were dealing with. Unfortunately, we didn't get the best professional advice in terms of how to remediate the situation, which also taught us a great deal. Um, And then from there, I became self-educated. I reached out to Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, which was doing some research. And basically, everything was, you know, I would pick things from here and there and research all over the world. The Internet was just starting at the time. You couldn't really go and Google things. I had to get books and order books. So that's how I started. So I started really on the indoor air quality side and looking at healthier products and chemically reduced products for people to use indoors. That is, so that was really the start.
1: It's so fascinating. I can imagine 30 years ago, nobody ever thought about it. And, you know, we have a running joke in my family because I'm from Ottawa and Ottawa is like, you know, a smaller version of Toronto. And it, it sort of feels like very country like in Ottawa, cause there's not a lot of people that live there. And my sisters and I always joke that whenever we go to Ottawa, we can breathe. We always talk about our breathing. And then I have a sister in Brazil who says, I can't breathe in Brazil. And then when I was living in Brooklyn, I used to tell my husband, I can't breathe here. Yeah. And And you really,
2: it's real.
1: It's real. Like I'm learning this for the first time. Like We thought it was a joke that we can only quote unquote breathe in Ottawa. But now I'm hearing that there's science behind this.
2: There is science and they know um, today. I mean, what's incredible is I've, I've watched the emergence of the science over 30 years. We know today that indoor air can be anywhere between two and 10 times more polluted than outdoor air. Wow. So you can imagine if you say, you know, you can breathing outdoor air in Toronto, New York, Brazil, wherever, you know, The indoor environment that has a lot of chemicals, cleaning products, you know, just painted, Mm -hmm. those chemicals go into the air and then you breathe them. So, you know, you're talking about outdoor air. So indoor air can be scientifically two to 10 times more polluted than outdoor air. Do you think
1: Wi-Fi is adding to that pollution, like the Wi-Fi in our homes?
2: Um. It's a good question and there is a lot of data that is just starting to emerge about Wi-Fi and especially about 5G. And there is a whole medical community out there that um, that is trying to produce very good data on it. Um, mm. And there are organizations that are really lobbying governments to get a lot of um, scientific data um, more on the other side, you know, the, the onus is always on those that, that are concerned
0: mm-hmm.
2: about emerging technology to prove that it actually is harmful. Mm. And that makes things very difficult because, you know, the, you need a lot of money behind you and a lot of organizing and what have you to prove that something isn't good for you. It's much easier to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with this technology, because then you don't need a lot of Mm. scientific studies, you know, a lot of data. But I think with 5G, and and I talk when I give seminars, and when I do consulting, I talk about emerging technology and and the technology, the wireless devices we are exposed to on a daily basis. Mm. And so people say to me, well, You mean I have to get rid of my cell phone and and my laptop and my computer? I mean, that's how we conduct business today. And I say, no, my approach is, you know, no matter what I'm talking about, be it nutrition or indoor air quality or um, exposure to electromagnetic fields from our electronic devices, my approach is we can't change our lives, we Mm. can't change the technology, we rely on it. But how can we use it in a safer manner that's practical for us. And that's my approach, whether it's your cell phone, I, you know, I give suggestions how to use your cell phone. So it's not, you know, you're not getting very high levels of low level radio frequency rate uh, uh, waves all the time to your body.
1: And examples would be like not to carry it in your pocket or to use headphones, don't sleep with it in your room, things like that.
2: Yeah. Distance is always the best. Wireless headphones, you know, are, I say to people, they'll ask me about their wireless headphones and I'll see kids with those, you know, uh, AirPods in. And uh, I will never say, you know, don't use them, get rid of them. They're harming your health, I'll say, look, be aware of how you feel. And I say that across the board when it comes to health. Um, I think my biggest message to people is that we're not aware enough of our bodies and cause and effect. So if we, you know, if we get a little dizzy, or we're not feeling well, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon, well, stop and ask yourself, why is that? What did I do today? What could have caused that?
1: This morning, my son, okay, this is not like a very proud mother moment, but my seven-year-old son was eating a bowl of popcorn <laughs> for breakfast and um, the popcorn was store-bought and it had like that yellow chemical look on it. And he said to me, "Mummy, I'm getting a little bit of a headache. And I said, let's look at what you're eating, right?
2: Interesting. And so what I would say, Sarah, is just based on what you're telling me is that store-bought popcorn could have had a lot of sodium in it, a lot of not good salt, because there's a difference between sodium and good mineral rich salt. But here it is the morning, and he hasn't had a lot to drink. And all of a sudden, all of the sodium, which is maybe raising his blood pressure, and that produced the headache. So you're absolutely, and, and good for him that he is, you know, that he could say that, that he could say, you know, I'm not, Feeling so great. Yeah. I have
1: a bit of a headache. Huh. And I, I didn't think of it from the sodium approach, but thank you. Danita, I have a feeling that I sort of veered way out of your story talking about Wi-Fi and air quality, but can you finish with telling us about okay, so you started with air and how did this lead to being a health a health uh, nutritionist?
2: So from so I had my company for a lot of years in Toronto. And uh, then I moved to Winnipeg, and um, life became very busy. And I had a business partner in Toronto. And, um, and at the time, my dad um, was diagnosed with cancer and was very unwell. And um, so then I, I sort of went into my next phase of learning. And I guess I would call that up close and personal learning and experience. And I I went through a phase where, you know, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. And then my husband at age 45 had uh, emergency triple bypass surgery. And um, I had to confront and then my mom was not well. So I had to gain a lot of personal on the ground upfront sort of exposure to health and the medical system. And, um, and I learned an incredible amount um, by being totally immersed in, in, in the health conditions of my family members. And I still had a number of clients from my, from my business. And over the years, you know, people would call me, my friends would call me and ask advice when it came to health. And I always, you know, when people would pick up the latest bestseller, I would be le- reading the latest health book. And mm-hmm. um, I just sort of, because I became self-taught on the indoor air quality side, I did kind of same the same thing. With health. And, um, and then one day, I don't even know what hit me. I said, you know, I really need to formalize my learning. It's not... You know, I, I I need to to go and take a course, but I'm in my late 50s, and I never did well in science, and when I was in high school. But. I, I have to do that. I love so this. So I really researched. I w- Actually, there was a, a program that my daughter had done in Toronto. And I thought, okay, well, how can I move to Toronto and oh do this my course? I can't do it. Amazing. So I, I really researched very carefully uh, for an online course. And um, I wanted a Canadian course. Um, for whatever reason, I, I just sort of wanted to, to support a Canadian course and found actually the perfect program. And, um, and, and ended up delving in and it was incredibly intense. And, uh, and I had to write exams every week. And this wow. went on for over a year. Wow. So I appreciate when you're you know, and, and I didn't have kids at home really anymore. So I can imagine when you go back to school, like, you, yes, have, yes. You know, when you have young children, but I was committed to it. And, and I finished it. And I did well, um, considering that I'm not great in science. And, um, and then from there, I said, Well, what do I want to do with this? And I realized, well, I really wanted to give seminars, I wanted to go into businesses and schools. And, Parents Association meetings and get information out there because I really felt that preventative health and, and interestingly enough, even um, when I went to research a name, and I and I kind of had a feeling preventative health was what I wanted. I was amazed that it really, it wasn't difficult to get a name in the yeah. preventative health realm, because there really wasn't anything out there.
1: Look at that. It was
2: shocking to me. So End of the story is I wanted to do all these seminars and then COVID hit and people weren't oh. going out. And I said, but I can't do seminars online. I'm not, I'm old, I'm not a techie. So I really developed, um, I did develop a seminar that I do give online, which God willing, one day I'll be able to deliver in person. And then I designed a, a, um, a program, uh, an assessment, four people, a consulting assessment that really delves into with the overall objective that is preventative health focused that it allows a person the opportunity to really understand their own health background. I provide a 40 page questionnaire. somebody tells me oh, I can't deal with 40 pages, I give them a 20 page. Sure. And it really allows an individual to think about their health through these questions in a way they probably never thought about their health before. So you become the whole point of the assessment is to make you an expert about you and your body. Brilliant. And okay, so you're in your
1: late 50s. By the way, you look like you're in your 30s. Our listeners can't see you, but you look so incredibly young. Best advertisement for your company. You reinvent yourself. What happens to your old business, like the air purifying business?
2: Oh, you're so good! I love your questions, <laughs> um, um, and they're so logical. So, how I so I developed my preventative health um, business around five areas, and they are food, water, air, movement, and avoidance. And so, how did I get there? Because I I started in air, and so when I was in air, everything was about air. You know, you mm-hmm. can't be healthy unless your indoor air quality is healthy. But then I realized, no, 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 no. you know, it, it, it's not just about that. And when and 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 just to give you the short notes on this, when I was studying, there was a textbook that I was using by a medical doctor, Doctor Elson Haas. Mm-hmm. And in one of the pages of the textbook, there was a quote of his. And the quote, and I'm not gonna quote, I, I won't get it right, because I'm 59 and my memory is not that good, even though <laughs> I, 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 I try to keep it sharp. But basically what he said that really struck me is he, he said, I believe that illness and aging is caused by a biochemical suffocation of your cells. And when your cells do not get the right amount of oxygen, nutrients, or can't eliminate their waste properly, then illness occurs. Now that sounds complicated. Yeah. But somehow, that those few lines stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about them over a period of time, the more it made sense to me. So I inverted what he said, and I said, okay, so, so our body needs oxygen, and our body needs nutrients, and our body needs to eliminate waste, and we have to get nutrients, everything, you know, he talked about biochemical suffocation. So biochemical suffocation, to me, spoke about chemicals, hmm. and nutrients not going to cells spoke about food. And how do you get nutrients to cells? Water. And then how do you get water properly dispersed in your body? Well, you have to move. You know, I know you're a runner. I am. Yes, running, but also just the idea of movement. Movement. And then what do you need to avoid? Well, stress, because stress is is an actual chemical reaction in our body. So there's the physical stress that we mental stress that is created in our body. And now we have electromagnetic stress from all of our electronic devices that are heating up our cells and tissues and affecting our bodies. So that's how I sort of arrived at these five areas.
1: You know, I consider myself quite I would say well-versed in nutrition and healthy. As you mentioned, I run, I eat healthy. I, I, um, I'm like one of those crunchy granola moms. And I am just amazed listening to you because I've never encountered somebody with such a holistic approach. It is so comprehensive. And I'm especially interested in the avoidance step. So you list five steps and you put avoidance in there, weren't you afraid to go there? Doesn't that feel like more of a mental health area and less of like a
2: physical area as a nutritionist? So great question. I mean, avoidance is when you talk about health. Um, and, And, you know, especially when you talk about stress. And I remember when I was unwell, you know, seeing one of the many physicians that I saw you know, and they said to me, you know, I think you're stressed. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, yeah, I am stressed. No question. But I never understood. I mean, I don't think that we understand the actual physical chemical reaction that goes on in our body that when what happens when we're stressed and and really we know scientifically that hydration, water, if we are dehydrated, our capacity to handle stress and anxiety is much lower. Mm. When we eat certain foods like high carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates, sugars, our ability to remain calm and even keel is lowered. So was I afraid to go to mental health in terms of avoidance of stress? No, because I don't, I mean, stress and stress management goes hand in hand with professionals, psychologists and social workers, psychiatrists. But there is an element of stress that I believe through, you know, movement and breathing and getting more oxygen to our bodies that in my experience helps to, sort of manage stress. And what I tell people, I don't claim to be anything that I'm not, I simply say to people, when you're feeling stressed, try, you know, based on your specific body type that you've shared with me through the questionnaire in our meeting and discussion, um, try this, try sitting down, having a A glass of water try doing three minutes of box breathing Mm. in for four out for four you know and and all I say to people is try it see if it works for you I just simply try and equip people with some tools that are easy and simple and inexpensive that they can try and, and use for themselves and their children
1: Yeah. Talking about box breathing. I had hyperemesis gravidarum for my, my baby, my pregnancy, and I was just speaking to somebody who's going through it. And I said to her, the only thing that got me through the day was box breathing. I used minute by minute. So I, I, it sounds from the way that you're describing these five uh, pillars of your program is that they're all interconnected. You can't separate one from the other. And that's why the avoidance ones was, is included as well. What would you say in your dealing with your clients would be of the five, the biggest barrier to optimal health? Hmm. Is that such a thing even like, or are they all sort of?
2: Well, I guess, and I mean, you know, it can all be barriers. Hmm. It, It can all be barriers. Um, I guess what I've tried to do over the past 30 years of sort of, you know, being in the in, in this area is I realized that if things are overwhelming, I mean, life is overwhelming for people to begin with. And if you take something else and make it overwhelming, then people may take it in a little bit, but then reject it. So if you, for instance, say to a person, you know, you have to, Tell me how you eat. What is your daily eating plan? And they tell you and you say, no, 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 no. That's all wrong. Then that becomes a barrier. They're not interested. They're not going to do it. They like what they're doing or they're used to it or it's habit forming. So, So my approach is keep it simple. Meet people where they're at. If something becomes a barrier, I was just working with a client and she said to me, I suggested, you know, um, Maybe you need a multivitamin. And I don't, you know, I never sort of suggest a lot of supplements. And it's very, I look at individuals as individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody says, my friend started this keto diet. I'd like to try it. I say, okay, that may be great for your friend. And it may work for them. But you have to know, will that work for me? And I always say in my seminar, we are not all mice in the lab. We're all different. And so um, I think you have to meet people where you're at. So this client of mine who said, you know, no, 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 I don't like taking pills. I don't want to take a multivitamin. I said, great, no problem. That became a barrier for her. So we worked on what, how could she up her nutrient level and be getting it all from food so she didn't have to take a multivitamin. So my approach is, if a person presents a barrier, they're going to tell me, hopefully we have enough rapport in our, in our uh, consultation, that they'll tell me what's manageable for them and what isn't. So I try and take away those barriers and make things as simple and easy as possible so people will integrate them. And my overall objective is that, you know, people become their own in control and knowledgeable about their health and their bodies. They become the experts.
1: Mm. That's your tagline inform, equip, and empower. I was looking at your website and I'm like, oh, those are good words. Like they don't, they're not relying on you. You want to pass over that information.
2: I want to pass over the information. I want them to become the experts in their family for their family and their children and parents and, you know, friends, and to share that information. And then, you know, even when they go to their physician, and they want to have a discussion about a health issue that, that people are equipped and knowledgeable about their own bodies, you know, one day, I was out walking my dog, and it hit me that when we come into the world, the only thing we bring with us is our bodies. Mm -hmm. Right? And when we leave the world, the only thing we take with us initially is our body. Mm -hmm. And yet, through our life journey, while we're here, you know, we, we don't really learn a lot about our own particular body, except sometimes maybe God forbid, when we are not well. Mm -hmm. And so what I believe is, if you become knowledgeable about yourself, from the outset, even when you're young, like your son being able to say, I'm eating this popcorn and I got a headache. And you know, like that's amazing. So you see cause and effect when you're out running in Toronto and it's a smoggy day and you don't feel great. You can say, wow, I shouldn't run today. Maybe the air quality isn't so good. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you find though that the more information that is available at our fingertips, like you didn't have Google and you started your journey, but most of us have Google. Like it doesn't really like our health is, is still deteriorating. Like we're, we're not really internalizing that information. Right.
2: Right. And that either we're internalizing not enough, not the right type or too much. And so my approach is to try and simplify. Even if you go to my website, I have some resources there. I really give one resource in every area because I think, you know, you have to have the right information that works right for you.
0: Um, Danita, I was wondering if we can talk a little bit about nutrition and our children. So I find like a lot of moms, like when they have picky eaters, we kind of tend to start doing the foods that at least they'll eat something, right? So we, we feed them those kid-friendly food. Um, and then as they grow up, they kind of sort of sometimes stick to those foods. So how do you transition away from that and really encourage them to have healthier, Choices and try out new foods and expand their palates and uh, eat, you know into a healthier variation, I guess.
2: And and I think that that's a great question. And a question that I get a- asked a lot. Um, kids' nutrition is is tough, and but I sort of apply the same principle to children's nutrition as I apply it to adult nutrition. To try and start from the starting point of cause and effect, so especially for parents, the, I, I guess the first the first step is that parents have to be aware when they when their child has a certain food, how, how does that affect their child? How does it affect their behavior? How does it affect them emotionally? So if you are you know if your child has Uh, carbohydrate rich breakfast because you're trying to get them out the door and then they you know eat this breakfast and then they become really difficult I don't want to go to school and and very defiant you know to stop and and say okay wait a second now are they being defiant because they really don't like going to school or are they being defiant because all of a sudden they woke up in the morning and you know, they, weren't, they, they haven't had anything to drink, their blood sugar is low, their sodium is a bit low, and then all of a sudden it's gone spiked up. And so um, by being aware and, and putting our minds in, you know, our heads in that mindset about food cause and effect, I think that that's the first step. So it's going to become um, more of a, and even for your child, as you're educating yourself, your child becomes educated. So you say, you know, um, I say to, I'll, I'll take my son, Benji, and I always say, you know, I look back now, thank God I'm so blessed to have grandchildren. And I always say, oh, I wish I knew with my kids what I know now that I can pass on to my daughter for the grandkids. And believe you me, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, drives her crazy sometimes. Today I sent her a text, you know, maybe ground Turkey, you know, try ground Turkey. She doesn't want to know about ground Turkey, but what, what I'm trying to say is um, so, so if Benji would have known that when he had all of his, you know, macaroni wacky Macs and then would be really, defiant and difficult and then be whiny that maybe he was spiking his blood sugar if i would have known that and he would have known that and i could have showed him the cause and effect then maybe he would not crave that wacky mac anymore maybe he'd want you know a a little bowl of some blueberries and and uh, you know some carrots and i'm not i'm not being trite or, or or ridiculous but i think When kids start to see that certain foods, like adults, make us feel better, make us calmer, then they're going to crave those foods. They're going to want those foods. When it comes to carbohydrates, the more carbohydrates you have, the more you want. If you're able to withdraw them a bit, then your body doesn't crave them as much.
0: So, um, I have a question. Are there specific foods you're talking about, like Wacky Max, but are there specific foods that parents should like really pay attention as possible triggers to their child's behaviors?
2: So, you know, generally, and, you know, well, well publicized, simple carbohydrates are the biggest culprits because they spike your blood sugar very quickly. And, you know, there, there is, um, there is a lot of science now behind this. There is a whole new area of psychology called nutritional psychology. And what they are finding is that there is a definite um, relationship between the foods we eat and how our brain functions. So when you have a lot of simple carbohydrates, it can make depending on your body chemistry, it can make you anxious, it can make you depressed, it can make you angry. And it can make you defiant. I mean, there there is a whole now again, we're not all mice in the lab. So some people can handle more sugar than others. It depends on your physical makeup It depends on your environment, it depends on your emotional state. So there's all these variables. Um, But But by and large, you know, when I give a a seminar or talk to people in a consultation, I will never tell them not to eat anything. If they say, I love this, I will say, then have it. But if they say something's really bad for me, I'd say the only thing that I can really tell you, there's two things that I would tell you, really, there's no nutritional value to are sugar there really is no nutritional value per se yes you know if your blood sugar is low you need to raise it but white cane sugar may not be the best way to do that and artificial sweeteners and i think what happens a lot that we don't understand and especially with children is you know your 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 blood glucose levels can be fine you can have a cookie and you can be relatively okay but then you add on to that cookie another carbohydrate like the macaroni or the pasta or the white bread and if you don't balance it then your blood sugar level is is rising and that most definitely now we have the science can affect behavior and emotion and uh, You know, general quality of life.
0: I love that. And I feel a lot of times when I talk to people who are like professionals in the areas, I feel like Tyra like science catches up with Tyra and not the other way around. And um, I know Sarah and I both are very familiar with this concept, but I want to share it with our readers that our listeners um, that the Tanya speaks a lot about this. The Tanya speaks about how food becomes who we are. Food affects our behaviors and our thoughts and our entire process of being, which is such a powerful concept. And you're saying that now psychology has caught up with that concept and now saying, you know, your food really does affect who you are. And I think that's such a powerful thing. So it's not just, you know, the cautious of the food and the health, but it's also the health part portions of the food that really affect our thoughts, feelings and behaviors. And that's really, that's really important to like really connect to as a parent. I also,
1: um, Danita, I also enjoy hearing you speak about bringing your children into the concept of this cause and effect, this causation. The other morning, I was watching my kids pack their lunches. I know this is not an American thing. This is a Canadian thing. And I it's not a New York thing. It's it's not a also New York an thing. American thing. <laughs> I like basically had a freak attack. Like I looked in my kids' lunches and all I saw was crinkle and wrappers and white bread. And I'm like, how did we evolve to this where I don't see anything healthy? The one healthy thing I see is a squeezy go-go squeeze applesauce that has like 18 grams of sugar in it. Like that's not healthy. And I'm like, how did this happen in my house? Like you're talking about what we put in affects us. And I'm just thinking like, for example, before a fast day, I'll make sure to serve complex carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, or spout something that will help us over the fast. And on a day-to-day basis where my kids are supposed to be on their best behaviors and learning in school, they are going with this lunchbox full of empty Nutrients. Can you please give listeners advice? And it doesn't have to be going to school. It could be coming home from school, reaching into the pantry and grabbing one of the snacks.
0: Something easy, please, Donita, because some of us have five,
2: six, seven kids. Something yeah, no, no, ground I please, no ground
1: turkey. Please, <laughs> no ground turkey. No ground
2: turkey. Well, what I will tell you is interestingly enough, Sarah, when you talked about the go-go applesauce, you know, the applesauce, is full of sugar, you know, 18 grams of sugar. However, applesauce, which, you know, is extremely hydrating. And one of the things that we forget with ourselves and our children is hydration and is water. And when you are dehydrated and many of the simple carbohydrate foods are, they dehydrate you. And so, you know, The applesauce in and of itself is hydrating. It's actually a hydrating food. Apples are hydrating. Blueberries are hydrating. Cucumbers are hydrating. If you can take that applesauce and get used to like reading the nutrition labels when you're buying foods and look for the least amount of carbohydrates, the least grams of sugar, So send the applesauce, because that's an easy snack. I'm not going to tell you, you know, don't. But find the one that has the least amount of carbohydrates and is unsweetened. And believe you me, you know, call me, write me if I'm wrong. You know, your child will get used to having the unsweetened one and will see that they actually are feeling kind of better because they're hydrated and they don't have the sugar. So it's like anything, it's the thought, oh my goodness, what am I gonna send for lunch? You know, I I can't make six, five, six lunches and have all this healthy food, it's overwhelming. So start slowly, you know, start with putting in the unsweetened applesauce instead of the sweetened one. Put in a container, a thermos full of water And 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 sort of get used to and have your children get used to sipping water and make water fun, maybe have them pick out a water bottle that they really like and they find, you know, sipping water out of when I when I meet with people and do consultations, I try and make drinking water easy for them. And, and you know one point that I want to to pass along um, that is very important is that not every food is good for every person, even healthy food. So let's say banana. Banana, very healthy food, fruit and vegetable category. You think that it's extremely healthy. Well, for some people even children, a banana, a banana could be a very good food, because generally, if you're having a lot of packaged foods high in sodium, a banana is a good food, because it has a lot of potassium, and it balances out the sodium. But it's not always the best food for a particular child or for a particular person. So you have to sort of, you know, it's a continuum. You start with replacing the sweetened for the unsweetened, adding in cucumber, things that are relatively easy for you and and water and, and start there and then build from there. The white bread, replace it with the whole wheat bread. I try And protein. <laughs> It's not I know that the biggest barrier, you know, and Sarah, you you talked about barriers, the biggest barrier is our mind Mm -hmm. and our habits. Mm. And I think that is the biggest barrier to health because people will always say I can't do that. That's too difficult. Mm. And my approach is I get that. Okay, so tell me, let's figure out what we can do that's manageable.
0: So to take this, the kids conversation in a little bit of a different direction. Um, We're talking about kids and behavior and the foods that affect them. Now, what do you do when you have a child who's struggling with their weight? Obviously we don't want to talk about, um, you know, their bodies and how you have to lose weight for, you know, your body image and, you know, creating that distortion that a lot of us grew up with. Um, We want to encourage the healthy behavior and the movement, but what do we do when there's resistance to all of that? How do we go
2: forward in that way? I think, first of all, I never say the word weight loss. I always say it's weight control. I think people have to, you know, you have to approach people where they're at. You have to know, you have to know yourself. You have to know your children. You have to figure out what is practical and efficient. When it comes to weight control, sometimes the biggest issue is hydration. And so, and that's probably the easiest place to start is to um, develop these healthier, easy habits that when a person starts to feel better, and that's what I say, it's not just being well, it's feeling well. And so you have to work with a person to get them to a point where they see a difference in how they feel, and and I guess that's where the you know the partnership comes in. That's where um, when I do assessments with people, that's where filling in this health assessment form comes in to make yourself aware of your own body. And I work with a lot of young people. Um, a lot of teenagers, they're able to fill out this questionnaire or people fill it out with their parents. So they know what, what they start to take control of their bodies for themselves. It's something they want to do. And once they try a few things and they see, they feel better then that propels them forward.
1: Danita, that is just phenomenal because I think everyone can relate to feeling well, everyone it's, it's not about eating well or breathing well or moving well or drinking well. It's feeling well. And everyone could tell you after they've eaten something or, you know, not been in the optimal state, how they feel. That's- right.
2: Yeah. And it's feeling well. And I will say to people, you know, when you get to four o'clock and you're starving and you're not in the best mood or you're tired, You know, before you run for even a granola bar or you take a nap or you like, you know, you want to, you know, just let out your frustration, take a glass of water, just take a glass of water and and drink this glass of water and see what happens. Do I feel calmer? Do I feel less hungry? Do I feel less tired? And so what does that do for you? It makes you, it empowers you. You have a tool, you have an easy tool. It doesn't even cost anything. You can go to your, your tap of water and, and you see the cause and the effect. And that's what I try and do. It's not, it's nothing all that sophisticated. I, it's probably not great marketing, but it's not so sophisticated. Best I
0: actually think that's great marketing because nobody wants to go to someone who's giving them a to do list. That's a, a mile long. <laughs> um, I have one follow one last question. If if you were to tell parents um, of kids or individuals in general who are looking for three healthy foods or behaviors that they should add in aside for hydration and exercise, what would you tell them to do? What would be your top three things that you should add into your diet or life in general?
2: Like if you're only choosing three, well, you know, it's a great question. I guess um, again because what I do is so individual, right? I try and work with people. I mean, you know, in Canada, we I refer now to the Canada Food Guide because you know we have a Canada Food Guide, and it says. After all these years, they've really simplified it. And it says, eat plenty of fruits and vegetables, have protein, make water your drink of choice and have complex carbohydrates. Yeah, can't get simpler than that. But within that group, um, that grouping, we're all individual. So I can tell you, yeah, have fruits and vegetables, but again, it has to be fruits and vegetables that you or your children like to eat. So you kind of have to experiment you know, um, find kids are picky eaters. But if you put on a, a plate, you know, uh, make a little like smorgasbord, <laughs> who's you know, you probably don't even know that word. That's for my generation. But you put a few slices of cucumber, you put a, a couple of carrots, a little piece of celery, and you give choice within those healthy foods. And you see what is what does my child enjoy eating? And, um, and again, to try and replace those simple carbohydrates with more complex carbohydrates, and the hardest thing to achieve is more protein. And, and, you know, we need protein to keep our blood sugar levels stable. So it's a matter of, you know, working with your child, using some creativity. Um, And I'm always, you know, uh, I don't, I don't uh, sort of give you, eat this food, don't eat this food, I think you have to be the determinants the drivers of your food and what works for you and what works for your children.
0: So it's all about joyful eating and joyful movement and connecting with the positive changes that you're doing. I love that.
2: And feeling well, I mean. feeling well, it's not just enough to, you know, if, if the goal is to feel well, then you start to it becomes much easier because when you pick up that cookie or that donut and you eat it and you're like craving it and then you say after so how am I feeling do I feel like you know I am just feel like I just you know have no patience and I feel stressed I would venture that over time you ain't gonna want that donut so so much because it doesn't make you feel well. But if we're not aware of how we feel, then we're gonna keep keep doing what we're always doing.
0: Yes, I love I I think that's a very good way to end off. So thank you so much, Danita. We I really loved being part of this conversation with you. I think you know, there are so many pearls here that we can apply to our individual lives and to our lives with our children. And, you know, there's so much wisdom in what you're saying and in the simplicity of what you're saying. And I, I I'm so happy that our listeners got to hear from you. Um, Can you share with them how they can reach you if they want to further the conversation on a personal level?
2: So I do have a website, a simple website. It's uh, www.preventativehealthfirst.com. And uh, if you go to the contact page, you can fill out the form and send me an email and I uh, get back in touch with you you can email me my email address is on the uh, on that page as well and um, I look forward to to speaking or chatting with anybody who is interested in preventative health. Thank you thank you
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Niggin provided by Hazen David Ketak.
1: We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at Again, info at with two S's. Thank you (音楽) music